0: We are uh, starting off a new series uh, in the book of Galatians, and this will probably be in the book of Galatians for some time. Um, we may take a few breaks here and there, uh, but we're going to just kind of slow down in this book uh, because I believe we just need a uh, refreshed kind of focus on the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, Right. That man sinned against a holy God, but God came, came in the person of Jesus to do what we could not do. He died the death we deserve to die and overcame it in his resurrection. So any and all who put their trust in him can find forgiveness of their sins, covering for their shame and life in abundance through him. So this this is the gospel. This is what we cherish. But... Uh, it's important, even as we'll see this morning, that the gospel is not just a reality to stand in, it is everyday freedom. It is everyday freedom, and I, I uh, even pastorally, you know, as I've mentioned here and there with different ones of you, there's just like this renewed zeal, um, because partly because of the wonder of Christ you carried. Man, you just carried the seal. Man, do we need to understand this gospel afresh, but also then the threats, the workings of the enemy, the reality of sin uh, within our world. It, it's just like, man, we, we have to shine well as a church, and we will not if we remain in everyday bondage rather than in everyday freedom. So it's important that we understand the beauty of this gospel, all that Jesus is for us, not just in position, but in everyday freedom. So uh, Galatians chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 is what we're going to cover this morning. And we'll see if we can get to a little dialogue. I always say that and then I just start running and forget. But um, yeah, if there's, if there's ways we can slow down and take this in together, dialogue a little bit, I think it might be helpful for us. Um, so maybe even as I get going, if there, you can stop me if raise a hand, hey, you know, and we can dialogue a little bit about this. Galatians. Chapter one, verse one, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the churches in Galatia. Uh, This would be probably early on in his ministry, very soon after even seeing these churches started. um, And he writes to them saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, So, as you see, we've entitled this sermon series, Everyday Freedom. But the interesting fact that the book of Galatians demonstrates to us is that whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, we all carry within us something of an aversion to that which lends to us life-giving freedom. We have a natural aversion to to that which lends us, if we could say, supernatural life. The very thing that gives us freedom is the very thing that we can most often resist. Like a heart transplant that a dying body might reject. Like a medicinal cure for a terminal disease that the body just won't accept. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is this life-giving freedom that our hearts often resist. It can be perhaps illustrated by the kind of classic diagram of the chasm, right? There the, uh, let's see, sinner stands on one side of the chasm And on the other side, you have a holy God. Familiar picture for many Christians, right? Those who are unbelievers will oftentimes, let's say the atheist himself, put him A, he'll deny this whole concept. He'll deny the concept that there is a fundamental problem with us, They will deny that there is any kind of issue of sin within us. And they would deny any kind of need for an appeasement of a holy God. Revelation chapter 1 will state that what can be known of God to them is plain through creation. Therefore, they resist God. The atheist rejects the gospel, they resist God, they suppress the truth of God, claim to be wise, but in so doing become fools, and worship and serve the creation rather than the Creator. They deny, they seek to resist the gospel by denying any of this kind of diagram. Those categories are non-categories, it's their way to resist the truth so they don't have to deal with any accountability before a holy God. But it's not just the atheists as unbelievers that resist the gospel. There are also those who resist the gospel based upon, we'll put a P here for performance. We're going to create our own little bridge across the chasm to God in our good works, In our good pursuits of God, we'll get to God. We'll find this within Catholicism. If you just stick to the sacraments, then most likely God will have you. But it's this journey of life that you're always wondering, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be enough? Am I devout enough? Am I pious enough? It's this works-based, performance-based kind of Christianity that is a resistance to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it's Catholicism or whether it's kind of the typical mainline um, you know, Mormons or Jehovah's Witness or whatnot, it's all performance-based. There is a real chasm, they would acknowledge, but they say, it's up to you to get across. It's up to your piety and your performance to get across. It's even true of Eastern religions while they might redefine the idea of God or what it is to cross the chasm, even Eastern religions say it's based upon performance, it's based upon meditation or reincarnation, all these kind of things by which we can get to the other side and finally reach some heavenly status. It's performance-based. So whether it's the atheist who resists the gospel, there is a performance-based kind of view of who I am and who God is That also is, it resists the gospel. And if it's not those two things, today in our culture, we'll add another P, it's the pluralists. Perhaps, if I could say it this way, perhaps the most arrogant of them all. (laughs) Because what the pluralist says is, well, any way we'll get to God. Anyway, we'll get to God. You choose the Eastern religion, well, good for you, you'll get to God. You you choose Catholicism, well, then you'll get to God. Whatever you choose will ultimately get to God. But you have to understand what you're saying. By stating that, you're actually saying, I have divine perspective over all religions. I can see them all getting to God. Who are you to say that? Only God can say that. And so it's important for us to recognize even Jesus will say, John 14, if you believe in Jesus, you can't believe in pluralism. Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Or Jesus will speak of a very narrow path to glory. Whether you're An unbeliever, or let's get a little further to the point of Galatians, an unbeliever, our propensity, the the way in which our hearts are wired, we will oftentimes resist the gospel. The unbeliever may do it in those particular three ways, but oh, Christian, (laughs) what do we believe of the gospel? Let's put the the good old-fashioned cross in there, right? Jesus alone bridges the gap, so to speak, and I always have to put the door in there because it makes absolutely no sense to do a hurdle, right? Jesus alone bridges the gap between the sinner and a holy God. It is what he has done and what he has done alone that brings us To God, if it's if it's something more than if it's you plus Jesus or whatever your good works plus Jesus, what that does is it adds glory to yourself. But what Jesus has done is He's provided a way. If you would just humble yourself and receive the free gift of salvation, that's the gospel. It's the good news. Christ has paid. He's won the day for us. Our our job is just to depend upon it. Our job is just to humble ourselves under all that he has accomplished for us. But even Christians resist the gospel. How do we do that? A handful of ways. And this is really to the point of the book of Galatians. For those who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, for those who have humbled themselves before Jesus in seeking his free gift of forgiveness and acceptance with God, we think that we are good with God, but now get to live as we determine it. Jesus, for many, is like a get-out-of-hell-free card. I get to the pearly gates, I'm good to go, I trusted in Jesus, I went forward on a service, or I filled out a salvation card at some point in my life. It's the idea that Jesus gets me to heaven, but until that happens, I get to determine how true meaning, how true healing, how true transformation is brought to my life. That is actively resisting the gospel. The gospel doesn't just determine part of my life, it determines All of my life. That's why Paul will later in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, speak of himself saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. For me, Jesus isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card. He's not just a part of the package for a better life. He is everything. He is life. Jesus, if we could say it this way, it's often said this way, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And to add anything to Jesus is to resist the gospel. This was precisely the problem with the churches in Galatia. Galatia is like modern-day Turkey, and the Apostle Paul, once again, probably early on in his ministry, started a number of those churches, and he is now quick to write back to them, saying, oh my, you have turned to not just, well, he'll say, you've turned to a different gospel. Paul can't even conceive of adding to Jesus without completely creating a new kind of Jesus, in other words. do you catch it? You can't add to the gospel and still have the gospel. You have a brand new kind of heresy on your hands. And so the way these Galatians were adding to the gospel was by going back to Judaism. So they're like, okay, we got Jesus. Get out of hell. Free card. Isn't that great? Wonderful. But now let's go back to Judaism and think that the way we now begin to live our life moving forward, you could say, all right, there we are, jogging along through through life. The way we move forward in life is just to actually go back to the way we were living prior. Now I get to determine, well, Judaism kind of worked for us, culturally speaking. It made us something in society, is what they're saying. We we had good community with one one another, and now that we've trusted in Jesus, well, that's creating some divisions. We don't have the same kind of status within our society anymore. We're different. We're looked at as being different. And they say, we're just going to go back to kind of pursuing our own sense of significance, lifestyle in Judaism, rather than moving forward in Christ. You add Judaism to the gospel, you have a different gospel altogether. And folks, we do the same thing. What we do is we take Jesus plus performance. We can be a bunch of legalists too, right? We can think that our sense of significance is doing these kind of things, coming to church, doing my devotions, being the upstanding person, at least on the outside, right? When we think that performance adds to us, we've missed the gospel. And it's not just like, oh, we got it wrong. It's actually that we're resisting the very thing that Christ died to save us from. So it's Jesus plus performance, which is oftentimes kind of the issues of our own hearts as believers. But what we also have is, you know, in our day, it's not just performance. We can maybe get a little more culturally relevant. It's politics. I'm going to have Jesus, but then if you don't line up with my kind of right-hand view of things or left-hand view of things, well, then you're losing some kind of standing or significance. Or we begin to think, well, I have to have that political leader to really uh, kind of have some hope within my life. And we think politics saves. I need Jesus. Yeah, he's going to get me to heaven, but I need, I need things to be good here. So I'm going to trust in governing systems. I hope we're all recognizing, no, 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 bad idea. But there is plenty of our culture taking some stand that, yep, the the right is going to win the day for us. It's a sad reality. We are adding to the gospel, and in so doing, we are perverting the gospel. Perhaps one of the things that I feel most burdened by... um, is Jesus, and this is gonna probably get a little closer to the chest, plus psychology. I hear too many people respond with kind of like a knee-jerk reaction. I mean, it's a quick reaction. When life kind of crumbles, the immediate response is to see things in psychological terms. We're, we're quick to think about the self. We're quick to think about the nature and nurture and the whole processes of how I've come to being me. A lot of the cognition, the psychological cognition, and it's quick to just, okay, we got to go to medications and all these different things to make me a better me. The prevalence of psychology has, well, Intentionally and probably unintentionally establish such a worldview for how people understand themselves and their brokenness without any kind of reference to biblical categories. What we're doing is we're saying, all right, Jesus has me when my time to, you know, go to heaven comes about. But until that happens, I'm going to kind of rest my hope on these particular things how I live, what achievements I can do. Oh, the, it's the political stance. I got the right stance and you don't and you're going to bring more chaos to this world, but I have the right perspective and this is the right thing and we have to have it in order to have hope in America. Jesus did not die to establish America. He died to establish his kingdom. Right? And the same then goes with psychology. We don't begin looking at ourselves. We don't begin looking at our problems. We don't begin looking at our life from a psychological perspective. We begin by going to God's word and saying, Jesus, who have you made me to be? How am I to understand my brokenness? How am I to understand the hardships that I'm going through, whether that's physiological, whether that's mental illness that I'm facing, whether it's the wounds that I bear in my own soul? How am I supposed to understand my brokenness? And how am I to walk through it until yes, you one day come and make all things new? We have to be careful, whether as unbelievers who resist the gospel in different ways, We resist it by adding to it. I need Jesus plus all this other stuff. Now, caveat. Do we need laws and direction and guidance? Do we need to be doing things as Christians? You better believe it. But when performance becomes Lord, you know you've sidestepped. Same when it comes to politics. Do we need governing structures? Does justice matter? You better believe it. But when it becomes Lord... You know you sidestepped same with psychology if the first thing that you're running to is, is is systems and understanding who i am and needing therapy just to solve the problems within myself by myself because i'm ultimately good <laughs> you're not good you're not good begin there that's a good place to stand if you're an atom if you're living and breathing you're a sinner you are a sinner so much of in the internal chaos of our psyches come from the reality that we are sinners and we have been sinned against begin there begin with repentance and you will find a balm for your psyche for your souls we don't create lord out of psyche but can when it comes to mental illness and psychological issues and it, can it be helpful say yes please right these things aren't bad in themselves, but this is the stuff that gets in the way subtly. Satan is a deceiver. He's not coming in the front door. He's coming in the back door. And, oh, you're, you're a Christian now? Well, you know what, just like the Galatians, and Paul will actually talk about, these are the principles of worldly thinking, that we just slowly begin to drift from the centrality of the gospel to including these other hopes and so to speak, lords in our life. We'll receive Jesus as savior, but oh, it is so hard to embrace him as Lord without creating lesser lords in my life. But this is the gospel. The gospel gets us to God, but it's the gospel that we live by. It's the gospel that we understand all of life according to. Once again, that's why the apostle Paul could say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, the the life I'm now walking out is based in all that Jesus has accomplished for me. I get Jesus now, I walk by his strength, I walk by his way, I walk by his perspective now. Everything is done by him. He's my hope, he's my savior, he's my Lord. What we see in the opening verses is gonna be what, what Paul continues to push forward as an argument, and it's just a greeting. You think, what's in a greeting? There is so much in a greeting pushing this idea that we must not resist against the gospel, but we must hold on to it. And there's two particular things that I just want to note, even in this greeting. First is that the gospel is legit. The gospel's legit, right? It's authentic. It's genuine. So notice what Paul says, verse one, he's an apostle. Not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In Galatia, in the context here, there were certain people who were aggressively pushing that performance gospel. This return to Judaism, and of course, in order to understand or in order to undermine the gospel, right, the easiest way to do that is to undermine Paul's authority, the guy who brought the gospel to them. Right? So you undermine the message by undermining the messenger. Sounds a lot uh, like our political scheming today. Right? Smear campaigns. Right? Again and again. And that's, there's nothing new here. This is what some of the proponents in the churches were doing. They're trying to undermine the truth of the gospel by undermining Paul's authority. And so he argues that he didn't become apostle, an apostle from men or through men. Men. now an apostle is a sent one that's what the, the term actually means and while there are many apostles kind of uh, that are referred to in the early church it was the 12 apostles and Paul who personally witnessed the resurrected Christ and were personally commissioned by Jesus to uniquely suffer for the sake of being Christ's witnesses. They would suffer for taking the gospel out. To the nations, right? And this was then, no, Paul saying, I didn't receive this gospel, I didn't receive this standing as apostle uh, out of some human exercise. Remember how Paul came to faith? Was he pursuing Jesus? (laughs) No. Remember the Damascus Road uh, um, situation. Paul's persecuting the church. He's resisting. He would be in this category over here, right? He's resisting the church and persecuting the church. and, And in so doing, he's on the Damascus Road. And who shows up but Jesus himself in his glorified state? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Paul's salvation wasn't of man, but neither was his calling as an apostle. Remember in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul states that Christ in his resurrected uh, body appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the 12, he appeared to the 500, he appeared to James, and finally Paul says he appeared to me as one untimely born. And the appearance of Christ to Paul was not only to redeem him, but to set him apart to apostolic ministry, of which Paul will say later on in 1 Corinthians 15, I am unworthy to be called an apostle. He didn't take this role in pride. He found great humility in it because he knew who he was prior to Jesus. He was a persecutor of the church. So Paul's role in the early church wasn't manufactured by man or did it come about through man, but it came directly from the resurrected Christ. His role, his message came directly from Jesus. Now, I I don't want you to lose focus on that either because there's concerns there. And you may say, well, why is there concerns? Well, even today, we have plenty self-proclaimed prophets and apostles, right? From, from past stories like good old David Koresh, you know, you can think of the crazy things. But if you'd go on YouTube, there are endless. And all you need is a YouTube channel and, and proclaim yourself as, as prophet and apostle and start teaching. And maybe you have some sort of story. Oh yeah, God came to me and God did this and God did that, you know, and showed himself to me. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse two. It's not only that his salvation and his calling came from Christ himself, but notice, he's not standing alone. Verse two says, he is with all the brothers. In other words, Paul in his authority, in his calling, had accountability. He actually goes on later to explain some of this. He even meets up with some of the other apostles, and they receive him. Why? Because he's preaching the same gospel, and he's working in the power of the Spirit as they are. They see this guy's got the real gospel. So Paul is not some sort of, well, you know, I had an encounter with God, and I might as well be an apostle. No, he stands in accountability with others. Most of those YouTube channels... Who are they standing in accountability to? They're spouting off all kinds of heresy, and they have no accountability. It's a scary reality. Paul didn't work without accountability. All to say, then, in all of this, the gospel is legit because Paul's calling was legit. Whether it was Paul's day or our our day, the truth we hold in our hands in this book, right, has undergone endless attack from every angle through every age, and it still stands lending life and freedom to countless saints who have humbled themselves under Christ's mercy. This gospel goes forward. It has an effect. It is legit. Second, and finally, the gospel is enough. The gospel is enough If you notice, verse uh, 3 through 5, he says, to the churches of Galatia, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is enough. It is so comprehensive. It is so complete, even to the point that how Paul says hi is changed. He's not just saying, what's up? How you doing? He starts off. Grace and peace to you. The gospel has had such an impact upon Paul. It changes how he greets other brothers and sisters. Grace and peace to you. Martin Lloyd or uh, Martin Luther states that these two terms, grace and peace, constitute Christianity. Grace is that ocean of undeserved favor from God that comes gushing down from Mount Calvary and from the ribbons of Christ's flesh. But peace, shalom, is the result of having a heart, a conscience that has been made clean, brought to rest by the blood of the Lamb. And so Paul states grace and peace to you. The gospel is is enough. It is so potent, it is so comprehensive, that it even changes the way that we say hi. So verse 4 then, grace and peace in saying hi results from Jesus who gave himself for our sins. The gospel is enough that it changes the way we say hi, but it also changes the way we understand ourselves. The gospel is profoundly personal. Jesus gave himself for our sins. That's a personal substitute. He gave himself specifically and personally for you. This was no kind of generic shot in the dark, right? He's not just going to Mount Calvary just out of a general example to all of us. No, he goes specifically for you and for me. He has our names, as it were, on his mind. Notice in verse 4 that this was all according to the will of God. As we know from Ephesians chapter one, you were chosen before the foundations of the world. God saw you, God knew you before you were you. And it was the will of God to make every provision through you, through his son. And it was the will of God then to come after you. It was the will of God to make every, his very, it was the will of God to make you his very own now and forever. It was his will for you. Again, the gospel is profoundly personal. Do you, know to, do you know how to fight self-pity? Do you know how to fight people-pleasing? Do you know how to fight the burden to be my own solution in life? We look away. We look away to that personal gospel that Christ died for me. Deal with your self-pity that way. Go to that cross and say, self, look what Christ has done for you. He has done it for you. We look to that gospel. So it changes the way we even say hi. It changes the way we understand ourselves. But then finally... Oh, it saves us from this present evil age. Martin Luther writes in his commentary, he says, "Uh, in this devil's kingdom we live. This present evil age. In this devil's kingdom we live. But he says something very interesting. He says, take the talents of wisdom and integrity. Without Christ, wisdom is double foolishness. And integrity is double sin. Because not only do they fail to perceive the wisdom and righteousness of Christ, but they hinder and blaspheme the salvation of Christ. Catch that? (laughs) Paul justly calls it the evil or wicked world, for when the world is at its best, the world is at its worst. The whole idea is this. Is like, well, I'm going to live my life in wisdom. But if my sense of wisdom isn't deeply connected with the wisdom of Christ, what I'm doing is I'm resisting. I'm, 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 I'm moving on from Jesus, but I'm, I'm also then resisting his salvation. The very work that he did to bring me to himself. And this is the world that we live in. It's a, it's a doubly bad world. Even in its attempts to be good, it's all the more bad, right? Because it's goodness isn't even locked in to the one who is good, Jesus. So we live in this present evil age, but it's this very age that Christ has come to set us free from. So Jesus will, will say, Lord, he'll pray to his Father. Don't take them out of the world, but let them be in the world something of a light amidst the darkness. So we're not given to the way of the world. We see all wisdom. We see all integrity kind of anchored into to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We never move on from that gospel. That gospel has saved us from being doubly bad, even in our good. This is the comprehensive reality of the gospel. And that's just part. Those are just pieces to all that Christ has done for us. From how we say hi to how we are to understand ourselves to how we are unlocked from the bondage of the evil age, the gospel is enough. It's legit, and it's enough. And a heart, then, that knows this gospel. A heart that knows that it is legit, it is authentic, it is genuine, and it is enough. A heart that knows that is left joining Paul in verse five, saying, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. When you know the gospel to be true and enough, you're left to sing you're left to worship. Folks, free people sing. Those who know they are no longer in bondage, they sing. Those who know that they got the victory in every battle, they sing, right? We get to sing because the gospel is legit and it is enough. Yes, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray even now for this week as we enter into it, oh, to have eyes that are discerning. Oh, we don't want to move on from you. We don't want to move on from you. We don't want to move on from you. We do not want, as Proverbs says, to trust in our own understanding. And Lord, I just I confess even personally, What I will probably do tomorrow is find myself going back into that ditch again and again and again. It's like my tires are imbalanced and they just naturally get pulled into the ditch of my own understanding. And it is chaos for my soul. I abandoned the very life I was saved to. And so, Jesus, we want to honor you as the one who has done all the work. You've performed perfectly, a perfect righteousness accredited to our count. How good you have been. But Holy Spirit, we now invite you into each one of our hearts and lives as we enter into this week. And Holy Spirit, we just say, "Be, be such a present reality to us that even when our hearts begin to resist the gospel and run in our own understandings in whatever particular way that might manifest itself, Holy Spirit, bring us to a holy stop. Catch us, Lord. We need something of your grace to just have discerning eyes for where our hearts are drifting. Keep us centered on the beauty and wonder of all that Christ is and what he's done for us. Lord, let who we understand ourselves to be just blossom from that place. For the things that you call us into, acts of service and love towards others, and even when things get a little tense around us, oh, help us to walk in that grace and peace that you afford us moment by moment of every day. Let us not drift. Keep us anchored in to that glorious gospel. Jesus, we thank you. Father, thank you. <laughs> it's, it is totally the gaze of mercy that you've had upon our souls from the, before the foundation of the world. You knew us. You knew us. And out of no good in ourselves, according to the praise of your glorious grace, you said, I'll have that one. I'll have that one, I'll have that one, I'll have that one. And you reached out and you saved us from our own condemnation, from our own damnation. So even now, Lord, we pray that you would allow us to just rest, rest with peace in all that you are for us. May your gospel just be an anchor to our soul, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.